Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, talking with you once again about practical issues related to ministry leadership. Uh, A few podcasts back, I ask you to send me your ideas or emails about subjects or issues you'd like for me to address on the podcast. And I received an email which uh, spurred my thinking and actually prompted not only this podcast, but the one I'll do next week. Today's podcast is entitled, Talking About Difficult Subjects. And next week, I want to do a follow-up podcast called Preaching About Difficult Subjects. Right now, we're dealing with very difficult issues, not only the pandemic, racism, other challenges. And so in the context of those, uh, ministry leaders are finding themselves having difficult conversations, and they're also finding themselves challenged to preach on difficult subjects. And so this week, talking about, having conversations about, next week, preaching about or speaking about in a public forum. I'd also like to underscore that I do like hearing from you. And so if you have an idea for a podcast or you have an issue that's uh, in your mind or you have a concern that you'd like for me to address, just send it to me. And don't worry about having all the details or all the ins and outs or all the possibilities. Uh, Sometimes it just takes an idea to spur some thinking in my mind about bringing some material together Uh, around a theme that might be helpful. And that's what's happened this week and next week. Today, talking about difficult subjects. This is the context in which you're trying to have a conversation uh, about something like a pandemic or pandemic response or pandemic issues. Uh, And are racism, are racial uh, issues, are issues about diversity. And you're you're trying to have a a one-on-one or maybe a one-on-two conversation or dialogue about one of these subjects. What are some things to keep in mind when you're trying to do this well? Let me give you seven suggestions. Number one, keep your ultimate mission in focus as you enter one of these conversations. Remember, your ultimate mission as a ministry leader is not winning arguments. It's not making points. It's not proving your perspective is right. Your ultimate objective is different than that. What is your ultimate mission? Well, it depends on the person you're talking with. Your ultimate mission with a non-Christian is evangelism. You want that person to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And if in the conversation you're having with them, they don't come to faith in Jesus, you want them to move one step closer to making that decision, not one step farther away. And so every conversation a ministry leader has with a non-Christian has as an undercurrent this desire to represent the gospel well, to represent the Christian faith in a winsome fashion, and to do everything that's, that, that can be done to help the person either come to faith in Jesus or come a step closer to placing faith in Jesus Christ. So if you're talking with a non-Christian, your ultimate mission is evangelism. But what if, about if you're talking with a Christian? Well, as a ministry leader, remember, your ultimate mission for believers is discipleship. It's helping them to grow, mature, to continue in the process of their sanctification or their growth in grace. And so your ultimate mission in any conversation with a Christian is disciple-making. It's helping them to grow. It's helping them to develop. It is helping them to take another step forward in their pursuit of what it means to be uh, a growing Christian. And so as you start a a difficult conversation or as you approach a dialogue about a difficult subject, keep your ultimate mission in focus. Your mission is not winning arguments. 
Your mission is not making points. Your mission is not proving your perspective. Your mission, if, it's a not, if the person is not a Christian, is evangelizing them. And if not possible in that conversation, making sure that you bring them one step closer to the possibility of commitment to Jesus. And if the person you're talking with is already a Christian, remember, as a ministry leader, your ultimate mission with them is always disciple-making. And in every conversation, you want to spur a person toward growth, moving them one step farther down the road in their relationship with God. Second, a second thing to keep in mind when talking about difficult subjects is consider the perspective of the person you're talking with when deciding how to interact with them. Consider the perspective of the person you're talking with when deciding how to interact with them. Now, let me give you several aspects of what I mean by their perspective. First, consider their age. If you're talking with teenagers, for example, remember they are idealistic and prone to overstatement. They also like to say things just to spur adults and try to uh, evoke from them an emotional response. And quite frankly, some of them are pretty good at it. But remember that when you're talking with a teenager, you're talking to an idealistic person who is prone to overstatement and likes to use emotional gigs, if you will, to try to evoke a response from an adult. When I'm talking with teenagers, I try to remember to be extra patient and to de-escalate the emotion in the conversation and to give affirmation of some points they may be making, helping them to ferret out, if you will, the kernel of truth of what they're saying. But I've also found it's, it's, it's helpful to use uh, probing questions or thought-provoking questions to help them think through uh, the issues at hand. Now, if I'm speaking to someone that's been a Christian for 40 years and is on my leadership team here at the seminary, uh, I'm going to have a different approach with them because I'm going to recognize their perspective in terms of their age and their experience is significantly different. And that leads us to a second aspect of their perspective, and that is their maturity level. And I want to say a couple things about this. First of all, uh, their emotional maturity. Now, this doesn't always go with age in a direct correlation. We all know some younger adults who are very emotionally mature and can handle a complex dialogue and difficult conversation much better than some older adults who seem to be stunted in their emotional growth. So you have to ask yourself, what's the emotional maturity level of this person that I'm planning to have this conversation with? And then as a corollary to that, what is their spiritual maturity? Uh, How long have they been a Christian? How dynamic is their relationship with God? What is the evidence of growth in in their life? And their level of spiritual maturity also determines how you're going to approach the conversation with them. Not only, not only is the other person's perspective, meaning their age, their emotional and spiritual maturity important, but it's also important to consider their, the perspective they may bring to the conversation from their racial, ethnic, or cultural background. Uh, and not to make anyone in that group stereotypical in our, their expected response, but in, at least to consider that as a part of understanding how you're going to approach or how you're going to deal with them in, their, in this conversation. And then finally, uh, their life experiences, particularly any experiences which grow out of their racial, ethnic, or cultural background. Uh, for example, I spoke recently with an African-American leader, and I asked him to describe some of his experiences of uh, dealing with the police. 
Now, he's a very accomplished professional, highly educated, uh, and because of that, uh, finds himself in situations where he's often the only African-American or fr fr frequently, at least in community settings, may find himself definitely in the minority in those contexts. And so I asked him uh, about stories of his experience of being stopped for driving while black or walking while black or doing something that uh, caused uh, authorities or neighbors or others to be concerned about his uh, activity just because of his skin color. And he had some stories about that, which gave me a greater empathy for him as we talked about some of the racial issues that are going on in our culture right now. So as you think about this dialogue or this conversation you're going to have about a difficult subject, consider the perspective of the person you're going to be talking with. What's their age and what does that mean about how you'll approach them and how you'll talk with them? What's their maturity level, meaning their emotional and spiritual levels of maturity? What's their background in terms of their race, ethnicity, culture? And what experiences have they had in life, particularly as it relates to those issues when you're talking about something like racism, or if you're talking about something like the pandemic, maybe their experiences in dealing with illness or their family dealing with illness or persons who've been impacted by illness in their background. And so, number one, keep your ultimate mission in focus. Number two, consider the perspective of the person when deciding how to structure or plan or talk uh, or, or uh, interact with them in the conversation you're planning to have. All right, number three, consider the trust level in your relationship and its impact on the kind of conversation you're going to have. Now remember, you may be trustworthy. You may feel you're very trustworthy. You may, from the perspective of many, be a trustworthy person. But the question you have to ask yourself as you're preparing to have a difficult conversation is, what is the, uh, what's the other person's perspective on the trust level in your relationship? Because the trust level will determine the depth of the conversation you're about to have and how deeply you can probe into some of the issues that may need to be addressed in that conversation. Again, uh, referencing African-American friends during this recent discussions about racism. Uh, I have a very high trust level with a few African-American friends, and so I'm able to talk with them about really difficult issues, knowing that they're going to give me the benefit of the doubt, and I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. And if we say something to each other that doesn't sound quite right or doesn't come across quite right, well we're gonna be able to take a step back and reconsider what's just been said because we have a trust level that gives us the capacity to have those kinds of hard conversations. Now you say, well, does that mean I can't have a conversation about a difficult subject with anyone until I've raised that trust level? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you have to gauge your expectations about what you're really going to be able to accomplish based on the trust level that you and the other person bring into the relationship. And that is going to have a determining factor on just how transparent and the level or the depth that this conversation may be able to achieve. Number four, when you're going to have a conversation or a dialogue or talk with someone about a difficult subject, consider the setting and the timing for the conversation. And this is particularly important when people walk up to you in a public setting or come to you at a time of emotional or vulnerability for you and want to address or talk about or in some way argue with you about these difficulties. 
Now, for ministry leaders, one of the times this often happens is right after preaching, uh, either on one of these difficult subjects or just preaching and being uh, uh, ex and expending ourselves in public context. It seems often that right after we do that, people will come up to us and want to talk with us or talk back with us about something we've said or something that's on their mind. Or sometimes I've been preaching about something completely unrelated, but because they felt like I had a message that really resonated on that subject, they want to know what I think about some other subject that may be a lot more controversial or a lot more difficult. For example, it is not uncommon for me to be out speaking or preaching and have people come up to me afterwards and ask me about same-sex marriage uh, or about my position on morality related to homosexual movement or homosexual agendas. And those are things are perhaps uh, issues I didn't even mention in my sermon, but because I preached on some other theme that really resonated with my hearers, they want to know what I think about these controversial subjects. So because some of these issues come up in settings like that, let me give you some, uh, some guidance on uh, the setting and timing for difficult conversations. Uh, try not to have them uh, in front of a lot of other people uh, in, at the front of your worship service or sanctuary, or worship center or sanctuary, or even on the church parking lot, right after you've just finished ex expending all this emotional energy in preaching or teaching or public ministry, uh, you'll find that those are not really productive places to have these kinds of conversations. Uh, whenever something like that happens to me, I, I have two phrases that that really help me. Uh, to defuse those situations and move them to a higher level of conversation in a different context. If I want to have the conversation right then, I sometimes say, hey, why don't we sit down and talk about this? Let's go to my office. Let's go to this lobby. Let's find a place where we can sit down and talk about this. By sitting down, by changing the body language, and by changing the location, I'm communicating to the person I want to change the nature of this conversation. I want to take longer with it. I want to go into more depth with you. Uh, I want to have this conversation in a calmer context. And sometimes when I say that, people will refuse and say, no, I don't really have time right now, or no, I really don't want to do that right now, or, 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 or no, I need to move on to something else. And that in and of itself diffuses, de-escalates, and often ends the controversial conversation. But if the person does want to sit down, and it's a suggestion I've made, and I'm, I have the time and the interest in doing it in the moment, it changes the dynamic entirely. It shifts the focus. It calms, ca causes everyone to calm down, reconsider, and to realize that this is going to be a more thoughtful conversation rather than just a public exchange in a, uh, after a service or in a parking lot. Another thing I'll often say instead of let's sit down and talk about this, if I really want to diffuse the situation even more, but I do want to have this conversation because it's important, I'll say, let's get together tomorrow, or let's get together later this week, or let's get together soon and talk about this. In other words, I'm saying to the person, this is really not the time or the place to have this kind of in-depth or difficult or even controversial conversation, but I do want to have it. I just want to have it at a better time in a better place. So let's get together tomorrow. Let's have coffee on Tuesday. Let's plan a time later this week when we can sit down together and talk through this issue. So consider the setting and the timing for the conversation. 
uh, not necessarily in a public forum, certainly not after you've preached or taught or otherwise physically or emotionally expended yourself, uh, not in the church parking lot as people are rushing to get away, but no, to say to someone, let's sit down and talk about this, or let's get together tomorrow and talk about this. These kinds of issues really diffuse situations. When I was a very young pastor, and I didn't know any of what I'm talking about today, uh, God helped me once to really use this strategy to uh, our advantage and to the advantage of our relationship. I preached a particular sermon and called the church to a particular kind of commitment, and right after the service, this man came up and really confronted me strongly about what I had said and really challenged me on some of my conclusions. And in that moment, I, I was a little stunned, frankly, by what he was saying and how strongly he was saying it to me. And really, uh, because God helped me is all I can say, I, I, I said to him, these things really matter to me. I wonder if I could come over to your house one night this week and we could talk through it. And he said, yeah, I, I'd like that. And that diffused the situation in the moment. And the following Tuesday night, I went over to his house and we had a long conversation, a pastoral conversation that was focused on me helping him to understand where I was coming from, understand the nature of the decisions that were being made, and really press him to move forward in a discipleship context. I say God helped me because back then I was much more prone to engage everyone, argue uh, aggressively, and try to convince uh, whoever wanted to hear it of my opinion and why I was right. Now I've learned over the years some better ways to approach these kind of difficult or controversial or, 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 or strained conversations. And I'm not uh, reluctant to say, let's do it, let's sit down or let's do it later. Let's change the atmosphere for this conversation. Number five, when you're talking about difficult subjects or you're having controversial conversations, make sure you have a conversation that is a true dialogue not an exchange of lecture notes or many sermons. This means you have to practice active, intense listening. It means you have to sit down with someone and try to understand their feelings, try to understand their background, and even try to understand what they mean by words and how they're using words and how you may be using those same words in a different way. Now, recently I had a pastor tell me a story about an incident that had happened in, in, their, in their ministry setting. Uh, the pastor had participated in a Black Lives Matter uh, protest in which he actually carried a Black Lives Matter sign. And some church members, by the way, not uh, African-American members and not Anglo members, some church members of a different ethnicity confronted the pastor and said, um, we feel like this was completely inappropriate for you because of what Black Lives Matter stands for. Now, the pastor said, we need to sit down and talk about this, and so they did because he thought, in his mind, Black Lives Matter stands for ending racism and inappropriate police activity toward people of color. That's what he meant by Black Lives Matter and what he meant by the sign. But the church members had actually been on the Black Lives Matter website to look at the foundation called Black Lives Matter, which is the organization that's driving the Black Lives Matter movement, and discovered that many of their we believe statements and what they affirm and what they stand for is diametrically opposite to the Christian faith. And in fact, no Christian who takes the word of God seriously can support really the Black Lives Matter organization. And so when they had their conversation together, what they discovered was they were using the same phrase, Black Lives Matter, in two very different ways. 
One of them was using it to say, I oppose racism and police brutality. The other one was using it to say, I support an organization that is antithetical in some sense to the Christian movement. Well, when they had their conversation, they discovered that they really had some strong common ground. Uh, They had common ground in opposing racism, and both of them felt like they needed to work better and even work together to put forward a Christian-based anti-racism message. But the pastor learned some things about the Black Lives Matter organization, and the members learned some things about the importance of taking a public stand and how they needed to be willing to do that, even though they might want to do it with a slightly different messaging. That's what I mean by practicing active listening. It's sitting down and talking with each other and discovering uh, what you mean by certain words, what you mean by certain phrases, what are the assumptions you bring to the conversation, and how you need to work those out. And when you do this, you may not find that you have common ground on every aspect of the controversy or the difficulty that you're discussing, but you may discover that some of the tension that you've been feeling about this issue is really related to how words are understood differently or how phrases are used differently or how even public persona or public positioning is viewed differently by different people. So practice active, intense listening. And a part of that is paying attention to body language and emotional cues. Now, studies have widely varying percentages. I've seen as high as 93 and as low as 70-something percent of all communication is nonverbal. But no matter what percentage you choose to go with, the vast majority of communication that's in interpersonal relationships is nonverbal. It's the raising of the eyes, the smiling of the face, it's the vocal tone that's used, not just the words that are communicated. And when you have uh, a conversation that's a true dialogue, you pay attention through active, intensive listening to body language and emotional cues that really do communicate more than the words themselves. That's why email and social media are a very poor media for solving or having dialogue about or dealing with controversial or difficult issues. Uh, If you're going to deal with one of these, you need to do it face-to-face. Sit down with the person, uh, and if you can't do that, get them on a Zoom call so you can see their face and understand more what, what they're feeling and how they're communicating. And if you can't do that, at least get them on the phone because even in the tone of voice and the sound of voice and the inflection of voice, you're going to be able to pick up some deeper meaning. So have a conversation, a true conversation. That's a real dialogue, not an exchange of lecture notes, not an exchange of position papers, but a real dialogue that has active, intense listening that pays attention to word usage, that pays attention to body language, that pays attention to emotional cues, that really does focus on the total package of communication. And as you're having this kind of conversation and dialogue, learn to make observations to confirm and encourage further dialogue so that you say to a person, I hear what you're saying, let me check to be sure I got it. And you rehearse it. And if they say, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying, say, that's great. Now, let's move on to another idea. What do you think about this? And how can I better understand what you're saying on that? So making observations like this confirms and encourages further dialogue, but nothing spurs dialogue forward like asking probing questions to gain understanding to say why do you feel that way what are your experiences that drive you to that conclusion Uh, how do you reconcile what you're saying with some of these other ideas from either data or scripture or my experience 
asking these kind of probing questions lets a person talk about their feelings, their ideas, their perspectives, and amplify those in such a way that is very significant. You know, I had a very difficult conversation a number of years ago with a man in our church who said to me, uh, hey, I want to talk to you about mixed-race marriage. And I said, okay. He said, I, I'm against it. And I, and I think from something you've said recently from the pulpit, you're for it. And I said, well, I don't know that I'm for it, but I would say I have no objection to it. I'm not promoting it as, a, as, a, as, the, as some kind of model or anything like that, but I certainly affirm people who are in mixed-race marriages, and I find nothing uh, unbiblical about that. He said, wow, I can't believe you're saying that. I've been taught all my life that you should marry your own kind and that if you marry outside your race that you've, that you've done something wrong. And I said, well, you're, uh, you're going to have a really hard time in our church then because we have a mixed-race marriage in our leadership. He said, what are you talking about? Now, this was an active church member who knew all our pastors. <laughs> he said, what, what are you talking about? And I said, well, one of our pastors is Anglo, and he's married to an Asian wife. And this guy said, oh, well, I'm not talking about that. And I said, well, are what you're talking about is a black person being married to a white person? He said, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. And I said, well, it seems to me that there might be some inconsistency here, and I wonder if you see that or how you resolve this inconsistency that you don't really have a problem with a white person being married to an Asian, but you do have a problem with a white person being married to an African-American. How, how do you resolve that tension in your own mind? Now, hear what I was doing. I, I was asking qu probing questions to try to get him to think through his own dilemma rather than giving him a lecture about what he was facing. And this is one of the most remarkable conversations in my ministry experience because when I said, how do you resolve this dilemma in your own mind? He looked at me and he said these words, I'm a racist. I have just realized I'm a racist and I am humiliated. I can't believe this. I'm so sad. I, I'm just sick. And I said, well, don't, don't, don't beat yourself up too bad. Uh, you can repent of that, you know. You can stop it. And he did. And I've now known this man for at least 20, 25 years since that conversation. And I can tell you, he has become a champion, really, of racial equality and, uh, uh, and a spokesperson against any kind of racial profiling or racism. Now, that conversation has stuck with me all these years because of his remarkable insight that God gave him in that moment about himself. And the, and the way he came to that was not by me preaching to him or lecturing him, but by me instead asking him probing questions in the context of an honest dialogue to really help him think through his situation. Number six, when you're having a conversation about difficult subjects, use the Bible carefully. Now, the Bible should be a part of our conversations, absolutely. But be careful that you don't weaponize Scripture, meaning that you pick out certain phrases or certain verses that really support your argument or your position, and you attack the other person with those, really using them out of context or to an extreme that doesn't bring some kind of balance to the conversation. It's easy to trot out, for example, passages about God's judgment when people are doing things that we don't like. And that may very well be a part of God's judgment, but let's be careful that we don't weaponize those passages to attack people who are simply doing what we don't like. 
Also, as I said, don't weaponize Scripture by using it as a proof text or using it out of balance. For example, I sometimes have been attacked the opposite way by Scripture being weaponized against me when someone will say, well, I don't know how you can believe what you do about, about sexuality because the Bible says we're to love one another and you should be promoting love among all people and people ought to be able to love whoever they want to love. Well, the Bible does say love one another, but it also has some very strong words about morality. And the love one another passages have to be interpreted in the context of what the Bible says about morality. And love and lust are not ever equated in the Bible. And that needs to be pointed out as well. So be careful that you don't use the Bible against others in inappropriate ways. And be careful to be on guard when people try to use the Bible against you in inappropriate ways. I'd also say, as you're using the Bible carefully, don't make presumptuous applications. For example... The Bible does speak strongly about justice in our world. But be careful that you're wise in your application of what justice looks like. Be sure that you don't equate justice with what you think ought to be done in every situation or in every context. Justice is sometimes an elusive reality that requires some careful thought to figure out what really is just in the midst of a difficult or complex situation. So just be careful that you don't equate justice with what you hope to preserve in the social order as you see it, and instead take a giant step back and ask what is really just from God's perspective in any given situation. And a part of that also, you have to be careful about your interpretive perspective. Now, one of the, uh, a pastor recently told me about having a conversation in which he I wanted to use the phrase from Romans chapter 14, verse 1, that when you approach a brother who's weak in faith or you approach a weaker brother, here's how you do that. And he was talking about this with some of his church leaders and trying to debrief about how they could deal with different situations and different individuals. And one of the leaders said, Pastor, you need to be careful there because you're assuming that a person who doesn't agree with you is automatically a weaker brother. That's not necessarily the case. Disagreement does not equal weakness in this context. And boy, the pastor had to take a giant step back, and he later told me, he said, I'm really rethinking how I use that passage because I want to be careful that I don't make it pejorative from the beginning and prejudice my position or in some way create resistance from the other person to hear from me because I label them weaker and myself stronger because we disagree on this particular issue. Well, finally, number seven, <clears throat> let your immediate goal in, the, in a difficult conversation or a controversial conversation or a challenging dialogue, let your immediate goal be setting the tone for another conversation. Now, while our ultimate goal is evangelism and discipleship, we get that, our immediate goal is having a dialogue, having a conversation. Our immediate goal is discussing a difficult subject in such a way that we can have a follow-up conversation. In other words, that the relationship that we have with this person doesn't end in some kind of negative way because we've had this difficult conversation. That at the end, even though there still may be a lot of emotion that's not been resolved, there may not be agreement on all the positions that we've, that we've enumerated or that we've listed. Uh, there, there may be still some uh, strong feelings about a disapproval or disagreement about the conversation subject at hand. While all that may be true, if we can conduct ourselves as Christian leaders in such a way that when we leave that conversation, the person knows the dialogue can continue, then we have had some success in 
that endeavor. Dealing with difficult subjects, talking about them, having dialogue about them, having conversations about them is a part of ministry leadership. Right now, it's a challenging part because there's a lot of difficult, because there's a lot of emotion surrounding a lot of the subjects that make them difficult in our context. This is a challenging aspect of ministry leadership. I've given you seven suggestions today. Put them into practice as you conduct this important part of your ministry and as you lead on.